Now, you have a yes. doctorate. You're a clinical psychologist. You have yes. a practice today. I do. So you see clients. You teach a class here at Living Truth. Yes. Uh, you and Denny have been here, I think, a decade now. And this, yep. this night is a long time in the making that we have been talking about this for quite some time. Yes. If I were to ask you why did you have it on your heart to do this tonight, what would you say? Because of the lies that I saw that's imparting to the youth today. And then what happens is they're falling for it. Um, our Christian kids are, are, you know, first of all, drugs. Okay, come on. Drugs are everywhere. Everybody knows that. Okay, now we're now it's going to be legal. Well, I get kids coming into me and saying, "Well, it's legal." Well, if it's legal, it doesn't matter. It's still not good for you. And and one of the things I, I mean, we can get into it. I can get into the neurological stuff, but one of the things that you need to understand is between 15 and 25, your brain is growing. Young people's frontal lobes are growing. Growing. That's the area where your consequences, understanding consequences, understanding that um, good or bad versus, you know, being able to assess what truth is versus lies. And what happens is if you're, you're sitting there loaded and, you know, having fun, it stays in your system, by the way. You can maybe go to class and you're not loaded at, in the class, but, it, but it's still in your brain. And there... It, it's affecting the frontal lobe. If you, whatever year you started using drugs on a regular basis, that's how old you are emotionally. So a lot of people, even though they say, oh, drugs aren't hurting me, guess what? Your maturity level as an because we have an emotional IQ and we have an intelligence IQ. And the emotional IQ is, is stunted. And that's what I see. When I have a 50-year-old come in and his wife, he beat his wife up and, and he, he's in therapy and the therapist tells him, you cannot hit your wife again. You've got to stop doing that. And she said she watched him lay down on the floor like a two-year-old kicking it and having a temper tantrum because he couldn't hit her. That's the kind of stuff, that's the frontal lobe destroyed. And this was a 50-year-old man. So I would say, just much like the pastorate, you see a lot of the brokenness of humanity. A lot. And I know, uh, I would say our police officers do as well, and a lot, of, a lot yes. of different occupations out there. And you need a spiritual covering from us because you're a Christian who's trying to help us with, and I, and I would use three Bs tonight, and we could maybe use this as to help navigate okay. us. Is the Bible is our foundation, but you have studied the brain, and you know quite a bit about the brain. And there's going to be... Yes kind of an angle that we look at tonight from a clinical psychology point of view with a Christian underpinning yes. uh, for that. So always going back to the scripture ultimately. And then we're going to talk a little bit about background. So we got the Bible, the brain, and our background and how things that happen to us affect us. Amen. And sometimes we don't realize that we carry baggage uh, into relationships that we have in the future. Sometimes we carry labels those labels are sometimes just because we had maybe an episode in the past where we experienced abuse. It could be abuse of all different kinds, but it also could be that just people spoke uh, words that kind of labeled us, and it wasn't necessarily abuse, but it was something that put us on a track to the way that we began to think about ourselves. And 
Having come from a broken home myself and a father who left when I was four years old, I know that abandonment issues and other things like that are things that you deal with all the time. So what I'd like to do is uh, let the questions kind of drive us tonight because okay. we do have quite a few questions. And we'll throw the first one Sounds up good. that we can see it and I will read it. You can read that? Well, <laughs> so far, no. But uh, wow. yeah. so... And, and one, one thing I wanted to make clear tonight is that we are not going to just deal with specific mm-hmm. uh, lifestyles. We're going to deal with whatever the questions say, because I think some people get the perception that the church is only beating on certain sins. Right. And so if we get asked a question about premarital sex, you're going to hear a straightforward biblical answer about it as well. And the first question is, how do I talk to a friend who is a Christian yet is living and sleeping with his girlfriend. So here's a heterosexual relationship and sees no issue with it. How do I talk to a friend in that kind of situation? And who is a Christian? Well, one of the things is that um, I'm sitting back saying how much of a Christian, um, what kind of background did they have? Did they um, actually have asked Christ into their heart? Um, it, it's important to do that and to understand why God does that. I would ask questions, so because I'm a therapist, so what I would say is, why? Why are you doing this? Um, it, it, if you know it's wrong, God says it's wrong, why are you doing it? And then I would get an answer, hopefully, and then I would say, um, do you understand the consequences? Because there's the frontal lobe coming back in. So because young people who are between 15 and 25 still don't have that frontal lobe yet, I would just ask questions. It's like, okay, can you help me understand? Um, or, or what about the consequences? So, so I'm going to ask a layman's question. When you talk about the frontal lobe here, I, can you walk that out a little bit? Yeah. What um, does that mean? Well, the frontal lobe is, again, where we we can assess consequences for the future. So it's kind of like the brain long-term thinking about consequences. Yes, is that what you're but saying? what happens is when you are a Christian, God has already set that foundation. So he's already given you a frontal lobe. He's given you the word. That is the truth. And, and when you absorb that word into your heart and into your mind and into your soul, and you know the Holy Spirit is going to convict you you will, um, first of all, what are the consequences if you are living with your girlfriend? What if you don't like, you, you don't get along? So you just leave? See, God has a, has a covenant that he sets, not a contract that can be broken. It's a covenant. And this is another issue that the, the media has tried to impart to our young people, that you don't have to be married to love someone. Of course you don't have to be married to love someone. I can love all kinds of people. But in order to be married for 54 years, you have to be married under God and the covenant. And if you're both Christian, he says, marry a Christian. Why? Because you're both like-minded. And if you aren't, guess what? There are no rules outside of Christ and what Christ wants. So, Diane, I want to jump in for a second. So, if the Word of God is described 
as light to us. It's a light to our path. And there are things that, frankly, depending on how long you've been around the things of God, there are things that you know and things that you don't know. And sometimes when we have people who have been in the church for a long time, they, they, a lot of people, the, the statistics on biblical knowledge are pretty weak in the modern yes. evangelical church. And so sometimes I think we may assume that people know more than they know. So I want to just share a scripture. Okay. And this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And if you guys want to throw it on the screen, but I'm going to just read it for you. And here's what it says. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel that speaks of your body in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles, listen to this, who do not know God. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification, listen to it, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now the, whenever you see sexual sin or sexual immorality, in all likelihood, that's the single Greek word in our Bibles, pornea. And I think this is important to define this Greek word. Pornea is defined as any sexual relationship outside of a biblical marriage between one man and one woman, period. So if you are having sex with someone who is not your spouse, you are in sexual sin. Now, that may be new to some of you. You may not have known that the word pornea has that wide of a definition. It also includes adultery, bestiality, any aberration that's outside of God's covenant design. God said, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, singular. And the two, and the major emphasis of the Hebrew oneness here is sexual, the two shall become one flesh. Now, the oneness in marriage includes friendship and spiritual uh, relationship before God. But ultimately, Hebrew scholars would say that oneness is sexual. So when you have an intimate relationship with your spouse, there is a mystical oneness, using that word in the proper sense, a spiritual oneness that happens in that act. And it is saved for you and that singular person. Nobody else is supposed to be entering into that covenant. That's considered adultery. No one is supposed to sleep with someone prior to being married because you don't have that covenant. So there are people who have multiple partners, and every time you have a sexual encounter with someone, it leaves a soul imprint. You will never forget that because it is deeper than just a physical act. Can I interject? You can, but I just want to finish okay. this thought. And once you open up the door to that, what you've done is you've taken it outside of the covenant and you've put yourself in rebellion to God. That doesn't mean that God won't forgive you or that you're not a Christian, right. but it means that that covenant is especially designed for that person and you alone. And it is precious and it is to be guarded. And God, to put a positive spin on it, wants you to enjoy the wife of your youth. In fact, Proverbs 4, this is a night on sexual truth, so I'm just going to say it, yeah. even says to enjoy her breasts forever, to drink from your own fountain. 
This, this is what the Bible teaches. God designed this, but he designed it for a certain place and a certain time within a certain covenant for you to be blessed and enjoy your life. Go ahead. One of the biggest consequences of having sex outside of marriage is that you, if you have multiple partners, you can't wipe that out of your memory. If you only have one partner, your sexual desires are for that partner. But when you are having sex with someone um, outside of marriage, you bring that person into this relationship unconsciously. Maybe, you know, maybe you, I mean, there's all kinds of, I hear a lot of stuff. So, uh, you know, the issue is if you, there are consequences, not just for you, by the way, because sometimes the consequences are for your children because you haven't done it the right way. And guess what? They didn't ask to come into this world. They, your responsibility is to, to teach them right from wrong in, in God and, and lead them to Christ. And, and so if you live a life that's on the edge, a lot of times, okay, we, we were in a church where we watched a lot of hypocrites, which we all are hypocrites, by the way. But when you... you Speak for yourself. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But the issue is, you know, we're, try- we're all working towards um, doing things better for the Lord in, in, in sanctification, but we can't always do it. But the fact is that the consequences are sometimes other people's. And, for instance, abortion. Who's suffering the consequence of that? By the way, the women are, too. Um, when I was in college, again, I tried to do a research uh, on PS, PTSD and, and uh, abortion in women. They would not let me. They said I would never get it published and that um, I would never find a chairperson to um, lead that. So when abortion occurs, it's one dead, two wounded. It's not just the mama that's wounded. Yes. It's also the father. The father too. And, and here's, here's something, uh, just a couple of thoughts, and we'll move on to the next question. I got um, candy. Did I, Oh, you and you want to do your thing with the kiss, but hold on. Yeah. Okay, so we we'll, can talk we'll go back, back to that. I know Italian, you've you handed know. out chocolate, and I know <laughs> there's a whole mystery behind that thing. But I'm it's, used to but interrupting. It's, you're sorry. a psychologist. So. <laughs> anyway, I, I want to say up front that no matter what you've done, forgiveness is realized in the person of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, yeah. we're both up here having come from our own share of brokenness. I come from a background of brokenness. I did not do it God's way. Uh, but thankfully, in my early 20s, I heard the gospel, and the Lord turned my life around, and I felt a call into the ministry. I didn't necessarily grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a Roman Catholic home. But I realized the forgiveness that's found in Christ, and I did a lot of things that I regret. So I'm standing up here as a forgiven man, or sitting, as it were, and saying to you that tonight is not about condemnation. Mm-mm. It's about truth so that you can realize that forgiveness is possible. Let me, I want to just say one other thing about pornea. That word pornea sounds like what? Pornography. And when you talk about bringing other people into a relationship, there is nothing that will soil and sour the intimacy that you have with your spouse. Nothing like pornography, adultery obviously as well. But pornography, because it's a false fantasy world, 
And once you start to open that door, you bring all those other people into that as well. And then you impose that phony fantasy world. By the way, they say that women who are in the pornography industry need to get high just to do what they do. If they tell you, if you watch a woman say she likes what she does in a pornography context, she's lying to you and she's high. And she may have been sex trafficked. That's that world. It is a terribly sinful, ugly world. And many of you and many of you who know people, it's younger and younger now, are caught up in that world and you're addicted to pornography. And there's a way out of that too, but I'll just say that that word comes from that idea of multiple partners outside of the covenant of marriage. Go ahead. Um, One of the things that I want you to understand is that sexual desire is different than sex. Sex is, uh, just to kind of define some things, sex means you're either a male or a female. But sexual desire is a desire. And just because it doesn't, it, one of the things that I want, want to share, I guess I could read it, I don't know. It's, can I please? You can read it. Okay, because I... I thought you were going to talk about the chocolate, but now you're... Well, yeah, but this is, <laughs> this is about desire. Okay. Okay, so if you guys want to smell this chocolate right now, you may. You can smell the chocolate. You can, can only You smell. can open it up a little bit, okay? But don't eat it. Whatever you don't, don't. Don't even, right? God doesn't want us to eat chocolate? No, he doesn't. <laughs> but I want, I'm sorry, I got a joke all the time. Um, I have this, wait a minute, here it is. Here it is. Okay. I can't, re- I can't, um, I don't know how to say this guy's name. It's Janico Giorgiatis. He's a doctor, right? He's a PhD. Okay. So this is research because I want to back up the science because isn't the science important? That's what I heard on TV. Science is very important. So... Um, this is what, he's, what he or she, I don't even know if that's a male or female, but we like to think sexual activity is as something fixed, basic, and primal. However, this does not seem to be fully, fully capture reality. Even when we relish sex, we may be capable of mentalizing, talking, voluntarily postponing orgasms, and much more. This might indicate that the central mechanisms of sexual activity are quite flexible and susceptible to learning mechanisms. Okay, so you can learn. Um, and the, the cortical brain areas play a critical part. The cerebral cortex and ventral media prefrontal cortex, or our executive function, is tightly coupled to sexual arousal. Now, this is the, the key. Low activity in that area predicts high sexual arousal. That's why people use drugs. Because prefrontal cortex begins growing between 15 and 25 in years of, age, years of age, and males often take longer, and some never even have completely functioning frontal lobes. Sorry. <laughs> um, Try not to look at anybody right no, now. No, I'm not looking. <laughs> <laughs> the prefrontal cortex relates to the abilities to differentiate among conflicting thoughts and ex- execute the ability to determine between good and bad and good and evil. I already said that and the future consequences. But this does not dictate the sexuality or who we are sexually attracted to. 
It causes individuals to not have the ability to make good choices for their life. They often only learn or understand after hard consequences, and they are less able to control their urges. So, and what causes some of this is mental illness finds reduced volume and interconnections between the frontal lobes and the brain regions, and it has been observed, okay? This defect in the frontal lobe has been found also in those subjected to repeated stressors. Stress is really important. Suicides, criminals, sociopaths, those affected by lead poisoning, and daily use of cannabis. Um, of course, other drugs such as oxycodone and opioids and heroin derivatives, LSD, PCP, I can go on. And so all you, these you, drugs shut you, that down. So are you basically saying that if you start using drugs, it's going to lower your inhibitions? Yes. And you're going to probably do things that you would regret, and that could include alcohol as well. And it's also going to affect your, potentially affect your brain function and your decision making. Yes. Uh, so this this is something that we've we've observed over and over again with people who yes. use marijuana and then typically go to other drugs and alcohol. By the way, yeah. alcohol is is um, it takes away your inhibitions and and then you you do stupid stuff. Right? So I, I hope we answered question one, which is basically start asking your your friend questions about whether or not they believe the Bible, whether they they not or not they understand what pornea is, sexual immorality, and whether or not they understand the concept of a covenant. And uh, look, there's a chance to repent and start over in all these areas. So if you've made a mistake in this area, you know, you're not alone, but there's a chance to even make a recommitment to virginity. And uh, the yep. Christian life is all about new beginnings and, a, and a, a, a chance to start over. And so that's part of what I would say too. But if someone's in denial and thinks that, you know, I can just sleep with my girlfriend or boyfriend and God, God's fine with it, um, that's not true. That, that's, that's a lie, and that's a sin just as much as any other sin that we'll talk about tonight. Okay, let's move to question two. <laughs> that was one. Transgender seems rather new. What may have propelled this movement to notoriety? That's for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that I do know is that um, while I was in college, and I, I keep going back to that because I'm, I was a born-again, strong Christian in college, and I saw them um, saying that if you're born that way, then God can't send you to hell because he made you that way. And I hear this about gay, what it doesn't matter. Well, God made us this way, so you know, if he, he's not going to send us to hell if, if he made us this way. Well, one of the things is, that's why I'm here, is because of the research that I looked at. I looked at research from 1969 to 2019. The, the MRIs and the neurological information that I found, um, there was no significant uh, difference in heterosexuals brains and homosexual brains. They did do some twin studies. They did some studies on uh, men who had AIDS, and they did find that the, the hypothalamus, which is the, the emotional part of our brain in the limbic system, that, that um, helps the 
our sexuality and in other words our sex um, and they found that it was enlarged well but they were dead and they had AIDS so they couldn't significantly say that it was the cause was uh, because they were born that way then also there's lots of research on DNA now I've gotten some um, they they did uh, 30,000 no wait um, 10,000 um, people, 3,000 were transgender. They took DNA and they, they investigated into their DNA and they found that there was no difference in heterosexuals versus uh, transgenders. They did, um, they're now working on 30,000 genomes in the DNA to see if they can go back to ancient times and find out if there was some ancient DNA that they're they're you know, looking at, it, it's futile. What I did find is, I don't know, I'm going off into la-la land, but um, it's a psychosocial developmental stage that starts before seven. Um, that's some of the research that I found, and it's who the child bonds with. Now I'm a psychodynamic therapist where bonding is very important, and guess what? Who's the most important to bond with? Jesus Christ, our Father in heaven. One of the things is that God knew what was going to happen, and, and he is the Father. Well, all these absent fathers, all these um, children who are in divorce situations, now not everybody turns gay because their, their father, you know, you had a, your father was absent. But it's how, the, how you're treated, how you're... Um, how you also absorb what's around you. So some feel rejection from a dad, if even a dad can be in the, in the household, but maybe the dad, dad's very critical and, and um, you know, rejecting and, and demeaning. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff goes on and I hear a lot of it. Uh, well, a child might go towards a female uh, in the family if it's a male. And, and take on some of the female traits because they're around the female so much. That's why God made man and woman because we need equal balance because we can become more masculine or more feminine by just who we observe. Now, a learned behavior can be unlearned. That's a learned behavior, by the way. It's not, it's not seated and we're not born that way. Because I hear this all the time that, oh, well, my, my son, he was three, and he liked to play with dolls. Well, so what? <laughs> but if, he, if he's, um, you know, if it keeps going, and you, that's important to check and make sure that, that um, they're developing in a different way, where's the father in that situation? What is the father doing? What is the father saying? You know, and I'm not here to blame people. I want you to see the truth. So if you, if you think about the notoriety aspect of it, uh, it seems like the Bruce Jenner story was a big story. And, uh, yeah. you know, he, he was like a very public person who transitioned. And what's his, what's his name allegedly now? Um, Caitlin. Caitlin. Yeah. And so I know he's asked questions about how God sees him, and he seems to be a very... A broken individual. 
Um, I'm going to give you something that we heard another teacher say that's really important. And this, this is something, this is an analogy that I think will help a lot of us. If you knew a person who had an eating disorder, and let's say that it's a young lady, and she has an eating disorder where she looks in the mirror and she sees herself as fat. And let's just say that she's 80 pounds soaking wet. So she's skin and bones, but she sees herself as fat. This is what an eating disorder essentially is. Now, what should we do with that? Should we say to her, you know what, honey, you really are fat, and you need to keep dieting. Should we affirm her in her wrong view of herself, even though that's what she believes about herself? But it's distorted, right? What we see is a, is a person in desperate need for meat and potatoes for the next, you know, three years. But what she sees is fat. You don't affirm someone in wrong thinking. Absolutely. You correct wrong thinking lovingly. Right. So you say something like this, sweetheart, you are not fat. You are anything but that. And then you have to walk with someone who then can begin to properly see themselves. You don't affirm someone in a distorted view of who they are. And, and someone might say, well, how do you know? Because look, there's been some very emotional programming that's been on television where people say, I feel like I'm trapped in a, you know, a male or female body and I feel like I don't belong and I feel like I've always been this way. I feel, I feel, I feel. And our culture has now been quick to want to affirm those feelings to the degree that we start giving yes. them drugs when they're under Hormones. 10 years old, hormone therapy. And just, just by the way, you may not hear these stories in the cultural media, but many, many transgender people who transition try to go back. Mm -hmm. They try to reverse what they've done. And there's stories on a website I want to give to you because I think this will help a lot of you. It's many personal testimonies on a website called suchworesomeofyou.org or .com. It's also called purepassion.us. But you could just look at suchworesomeofyou.org and you'll see testimony after testimony of people coming out of aberrant homosexual, transgender lifestyles who were saved by Jesus, set free, but it, but it was a painful journey. And some of them transitioned a couple times back and forth because they thought they would find happiness in transitioning, and they found that that's not going to answer it because where do we find true contentment? In Christ, right? And so that's something to, to hold I, on to. I, I know you got more to add. I have some research on that it's because I just researched that 43.8% lesbian percent of the le lesbians and 61. 1% of bisexual women who have experienced rape, physical violence, have, they, they try to commit suicide. 40% of the, the transgenders are suicidal. Um, this is a compassionate speech here. This is compassion because they can be helped. And some, see, some people will say that they are uh, suicidal because they don't get acceptance from the larger exactly. culture. Exactly, but then they're, But what the real truth is that there's internal um, chaos inside and, and, or confusion, and they don't know what to do with it. They need 
a professional's help or a pastor's help. By the way, I've researched um, several researchers that um, it's about the motivation of the person. If they want to change, they will be helped if they get the right help because it's the motivation behind them that, that makes the difference. That pastors and, and groups, we, I have one that there was like um, 305 people became uh, heterosexual again, but they were in groups from four to eight years. And they were not Christian, but they, they um, talked to one another. They learned about what happened to themselves. They were able to express it and, and change. But the, the ones who had the, the best results were pastors and, and um, psychologists or Christian therapists who helped them um, through the process. So, so there is help. There is help, and that's one. That's something we want to say that's tonight. That's why we're here. Is that there is help for all of us, no matter what we come from. I just read through a book called Free Spirit. It was written by our own Chloe. Some of you remember Chloe, who uh, was our children's ministry director uh, for a while here at Living Truth and then moved back to Orange County, and she's now serving at a church in Orange County. She wrote a book called Free Spirit, she doesn't have any abuse in her background, no traumatic event that happened, but she gravitated towards the lesbian lifestyle. And there's a whole series of events, but this, this is what made me think of this, is that she said she, she felt like everybody else was perfect around her because she grew up in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. And so her struggles made her feel isolated. And so she felt like she reflects back in the book and she says, if I had someone to open up to and share how I was feeling at those times, I think I would have gotten more clarity, but I, I kind of isolated because my perception was I'm the only one who deals Who's with this stuff. This I way. feel alone. Right, and you're not alone. If you're Amen. feeling those things now, you're not alone. The issue is you need to talk it out with a Christian and a pastor or a pastor and get the help you need because your thinking is all about... By the way, we all have to do this. You know, it says confess one to another so you might be healed. Well, what does that mean? That means talk to somebody and, and talk about things. That's why I have a depression and anxiety group, because we talk things out. We, we you know, one of the things I had, a, I love Bible studies, but they didn't love me too well. <laughs> <laughs> Because I bring up too much. I'm sorry. Um, but it's because you brought the kisses and you wouldn't let people eat them. <laughs> wouldn't let them eat them. <laughs> it's true, no. Um, but I have too many stories to tell, and so they don't like it. <laughs> but, the, but the idea is that we, we need to talk. And I'm Italian, so I need to talk a lot. Mm-hmm. And poor Denny, he's, you know, he puts up with it. Um, so do a lot of your jokes open with <laughs> a psychologist went to a Bible study? And... Okay. So... One thing that I think we, we all want to hear is that, did, did you hear that tonight? People do change. Chloe is married and just had a baby boy. Amen. Yeah. I just had a chance to email back and forth to Jim Doman. Jim Doman was five years in the homosexual lifestyle. He's now married with, I think they have three children together. He was just on um, one of the Christian networks sharing his testimony. His wife said that she it's only when he shares his testimony that she even remembers that he was in that lifestyle, but wow. he was there for five years. You can change. 
And change is not a bad thing. And for the culture to be saying people are born this way and you can't change is a lie. Yes. Now, can it be a struggle for many people? Of course. Change is a struggle for anyone. Anybody here trying to change something in your life right now? That's a habitual struggle. Welcome to the human race. Inside and outside the church, it, it is a challenge to live the way we all desire to live. So I think one of the main things, Diane, that I'd want to share is to say you're not alone and there are people who will hear you, love you, and walk with you. And um, I, I want to keep us trucking, but do you have oh, one more by thought? By the way, one of the things is if you have an addiction, I have a, a YouTube video. You can go on and you can see the neurological part, but there's also about all the different types of addictions that, that are in and how God works to um, give us love and forgiveness and grace but um, and how sin develops and how God's word helps to um, heal the hurts and, and heal us. So, I mean, that's why I put it up there. And I also have a book, From God's Heart to Mine, which one of the things that I had um, during the time that I had a Bible study in my home, we had 40 kids in, the, in, our, in our home. And out of those 40 kids, 10 of them came to me and were on drugs. And so they asked me to, to help them get off. Now, I started it. That's when I wrote the, the um, teen 12-step um, group because it was Overcomers Outreach, and they didn't have a teen group. So out of those 10 kids, seven had been molested. Four of them were boys, and they do not talk about it. If you've been molested, you need help. I'm sorry to bring it up. It's ugly thing to think about or talk about. Um, but it happens, and you did nothing wrong. It needs to be addressed. It needs to take to get. Um, sometimes we have to call um, and put someone in jail. But I can guarantee you, they. I've talked to police officers. If you've been molested, one a molester will molest eighty times before they get caught once. Twenty five percent. Um, wait, 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 excuse me. One out of um, three women have been molested, I think. Is that yeah, true? I think that's accurate. And one out of four men have been molested. So I don't know if we have 100 people here, but guess what? One quarter, if not more, are, mm -hmm. have been molested. And so the, the important thing for us, for you guys to know, and those of you who are watching live stream, is that this is happening tonight because we feel like inside the church, if we don't talk about this, then everybody's going to get their information from the culture without God and without the biblical foundation. And so what we're saying to you is, you know, the, the hurt of a broken, sinful world hits us all in different ways, and you're not alone. And, and that's one of the things that we want to just continue to reiterate. Let's, let's bring up the next question. Okay. Many homosexuals insist that they were born that way. And do not just choose this lifestyle. So is there anything that you'd want to say? You, you talked about the, the brain science, the DNA. Mm -hmm. uh, you had mentioned a, 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 someone had asked you a question that there, were, there was a group of siblings. They grew up in the same household, same background, same parents. Yep. And then one of them becomes a homosexual. And they have all the same environmental stuff. Right. How would you explain that? Well, one of the things that was interesting, a friend of mine um, was saying that her sister was always acting um, 
like a male and, you know, would walk around without a shirt on because she saw men walking around without shirts. And, and she'd tell her sister, put your shirt on. Why do I have to put a shirt on? I don't need to. And she ended up gay. And um, there, what happened is um, I asked her, I said, well, is there any mental illness in your family? And she said, well, my mom's mentally ill. She has bipolar. I said, well, um, you, because there's five siblings, and does anybody else have bipolar? And she said, no. Well, yeah, my sister has bipolar. So one of the things that I want you to hear is that doesn't mean all bipolar people are, you know, go the homosexual way. But what happens is they have distorted perceptions of life. They, so like you were talking about with the, I call that an anorexic girl. She had a distorted perception of herself. So if it's distorted, how do you know that it's distorted if it's just you and you keep rolling it around in your own head? That's, and, and, that's all you're doing is rolling it around in your head. And sometimes what happens is that it's not necessarily, it, it may not even be a, a mental illness or an abuse case or a molestation case. It could be that someone was attracted towards, let's just say they're a tomboy. And they, they get affirmed over and over again and labeled yes. that way. And they begin to think of themselves in that way. Yes. That you're a boy or you're a girl because you, you dressed up like that or you play with dolls. And one thing that we want to say is that if, you, if you're a person that doesn't have the typical interests, let's say you're a male and you don't like motorcycles, football, and whatever, golf, that's okay. You, you may have some other interests. That doesn't mean that you are not a heterosexual male. It just means that you have different interests. And That's if you enjoy exactly the arts right. or, you know, if you enjoy, uh, you know, uh, dance or theater or right. something like that, poetry, whatever you enjoy, it doesn't make you less of a man. So don't don't always believe the labels because what the culture wants to do is say oh well you don't like football and you don't like the typical guy stuff well you must be this you're probably gay well how do they know that they don't know that but they've just tried to label you and then there's some people who will try to confirm you in that label because they are lost in their sin and they want you to affirm it publicly to carry you into their sin so that they can get, you know, misery loves company. That's exactly and you can right. find a community that will affirm you and want you to broadcast it from the rooftop, but they don't have your best interest in mind. It's probably their sickness that they want another per- person to affirm them. Everybody with me? But you so, know what? Also, when somebody puts you down, it's because they feel low and they need to put you down lower. And, and that's the truth. Because they don't feel good. They want you to not feel good. And we call it projection. We're seeing this in, in all the politics today. They project things onto people, and they don't have any fact whatsoever. Or they try to cancel us and when they, we they try, try to bring to truth to something. That's then, exactly then they right. want, then it's cancel culture. Okay. Here we go. We'll move on. A lot of these questions kind of have the same yes. uh, track. So many homos... Okay. Why? Why doesn't the Bible talk about how men would have many wives, polygamy, like, I know he said one man, one woman, but all throughout the Old Testament, men had many wives. Well, the Bible does talk about it. Uh, it acknowledges when there were 
uh, polygamous relationships. And I would just encourage the person asking the question, if you have interest in this, I've been, I've been studying the Bible for a long time, and here's what I'll tell you about polygamy. Polygamy is, was not God's will, and whenever a polygamous relationship occurred, for example, in some of the Old Testament accounts, it was always a disaster. Always a disaster. Now, in some of the biblical narratives, like in Genesis, when another woman is brought in as a wife, she is brought in because that was an accepted way when a woman was barren in her marriage. Uh, This is the story of uh, Hagar and Abram or Abraham. Hagar was brought in. She was the Egyptian bondservant. She was brought in to bear children to Abram or Abraham because Sarai was barren. And then you guys know what the miracle happened with Isaac, but it happened much later in their life. So in the ancient world, they would do this. They would bring in another wife. I put that in quotes, but she was considered a wife to bear children to the man if there was barrenness. So that's one reason. But the other was sometimes kings had harems with multiple women. Solomon, what, 700 wives, 300 concubines, or whatever order that, that goes in. Either way, it's nuts. <laughs> they, some people say that a lot of his relationships were for political reasons. But nonetheless, he loved many foreign women, the book of Kings says. And because he did that, God was displeased with him because he also appeased them with putting up high places for their false gods and goddesses. So it's always been a disaster. When the Bi- Remember, the Bible tells the honest truth about its characters. It doesn't hide warts and all. It puts it out there. It doesn't mean that the Bible's affirming that it's right. It's just recording the history. So when you find a passage that says a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, singular, that's the principle. Just because men broke it, just because David committed adultery with Bathsheba, the proper record will be recorded, but it's sinful nonetheless. And uh, sometimes you see an outright judgment on the person in their lifetime, and sometimes they don't get judged immediately, but there's still consequences. Can I say something about that? Abraham took Hagar after he after God set a covenant with him and Sarah. And what, what was the consequence of that? The consequence was Hagar became the, the mother of Islam. And, um, and so that's what, when she was cast out, and Isaac, and they believe, at least this is what I've heard I've, from my Muslim friends, that Isaac was sacrificed somehow, I don't know, I don't know if it's true. I'm just telling what it's I heard. It's not. <laughs> it's not true. No. Okay. Well, they, maybe they brought it. They brought that up. But but it, it, is that true that Hagar is the? So um, the, there's people that argue that Hagar is the the mother of the Arabs, um, which then could lead to Islam. But. Nonetheless, your point is well taken. That what's the consequence? If they would have believed God, and right. it was it was a hard thing to believe that when you're really old, you're going to have this miracle child. Yeah, I so, wouldn't want to. So this is a great spiritual point. Here's what it is: it's unbelief. It's I don't believe that God could bring me the right person at the right time. So I'll speed it up, and then what we, we create is we create the tension and and the consequences, mm-hmm. which. Uh, if we would have just obeyed, wouldn't have been there, and we've all swum in those consequences. Amen. All right. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Where are we at? A large number of Christians have adult children who have departed from the faith 
while attending high school and college and have, I uh, can't see the rest and of that. Exposure to pornography or sexual abuse. Oh, is it on, oh, it's behind me. No, that's me. the second one. And have joined the LGBTQ movement. Oh. What advice would you give to parents who are anchored in their faith? So kids have gone off to school and now they're part of the LGBTQ. Well, it depends how old they are because um, I would hope they're here <laughs> if they're younger. Um, if they're in college, um, one of the things I would have, I, I would hope that you've been educating them on the lies uh, along the way, but that doesn't mean they're going to change. And one of the things that you have to understand is we have the responsibility to raise our children in the way of the Lord. But we don't get to choose when they leave our door. We can't follow them around like, you know, although I'd like to. <laughs> I can make the better choices for you. I mean, can't we all, all our mothers and fathers, we can make better choices for our kids. I'm sorry. We can. And I used to say that to my son and my daughter. I'm, you know, I'm sorry you made that choice, but the consequence is this. And that and it's my responsibility before God to raise you up in that way with consequences because I believe in between consequence and motivation or, or and reward is motivation in the center. So by the way, I teach the parenting class, I taught that. God does that for us. He gives us a consequence, He sets a uh, gives us rewards, our blessings. Uh, and by the way, Denny and I are living blessings every day that God has done because we, not that we're perfect, believe me, we're not, um, and we have, you know, we're growing still, but I believe we're so blessed because we do walk with the Lord, and and that's what we showed our kids, not that you guys aren't, I mean, if, if your children aren't walking the way, it's not your fault. They get to choose. There are many uh, prodigal stories, and uh you guys would all agree that God's the ultimate parent, would you not? Amen. How many Christians have gone wayward on God the Father? Everyone. Many. So, so here's, here's the point, and this is something that some of you need to hear. If you have a prodigal, stop blaming yourself. If you did everything you could, even God the Father has people who have walked away, and it's captured in the story of the prodigal son. Yep. And the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So please remember, now we all can have regrets about how we parented, and, and we can all go back and drive ourselves nuts with that, but if you did the best you could, then, you know, prodigals are just part of the human story. Now, there's pain and hurt and wounds, and you, you worry about them and all of that, but here's the point. Prodigals do come home. And that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> And they eat all your chocolate. <laughs> Come no. on now. I know you guys, you know this. I am hearing that it. That was her Italian sense of humor. I, it is. Not I after 30, they can't yeah, come home. That, well, <laughs> this is the problem today. They are coming home. And they're staying there. But when I say come <laughs> home, leave. you guys know what I mean. I'm talking about coming home in a spiritual sense. In a spiritual, yes. So <laughs> look, look our, I know that there's people watching right now. There's, there's people here, and you have a prodigal, and I know your heart is broken, and all yes. I can say is 
you have to just do your best to keep praying for them. And I will say in the testimonies that I've heard about people who came back, it was consistent, loving truth. So it wasn't just, hey, we'll accept everything you do, a wrong definition of love. Absolutely. It was truth and love properly lived out um, that eventually made it safe for that prodigal to come home. Um, so I, that's all I would say is, is just, just. I have one more thing. Of course, I'm Italian, so I got to go, keep go talking. Ahead. The issue is that one of the things that I see with, with mothers and fathers, they have a tendency, if they feel guilty, the child has a hook and now they can use that against the parent. And then what happens is we put this little pillow under them. So we don't want them to fall and, and get hurt right? We, there are children. And so if you keep stopping the consequences when they're young, they need to suffer some consequences. So they learn that if you do something stupid, you have a consequence and it hurts. Well, the little ones, the, the issue is the, the things they do wrong are little. So sometimes I used to laugh and that was wrong at some of the things when they're so cute. But, the, but it's not so cute when they get older. And so the consequences, they need to see those consequences. And then when they do um, leave home, they understand that for every action, there's a consequence. For it's either a positive or a negative consequence. Which one would you rather have? This is the concept of loving discipline. And it's Amen. you spare the That's rod, God. you spoil the child. There's, there's many verses but it's got to be done in balance. And this is where we struggle as humans. Of We tend to be on extremes. And there's one portion of the church that wants to accept everything under the banner, God is love, and they have a wrong definition of love. And then there's some portions of the, of the church, and this is the other extreme, and I'm not saying that this is all evangelical churches, but they have turned off homosexuals because they have just raged against them yeah. and not tried to walk with them. And even people who have same-sex attraction that doesn't mean they're in sin just because they have same-sex attraction. It means they're struggling just like you struggle with your temptations, and so you try to walk with them well, through that. Well, I can that. tell you that you can. Um, um, there are people who get excited over feet. So, you know, sex is, is a personal thing. It's not necessarily accurate. Your feelings are your feelings, but they're not always accurate. And that's why God wants us to use our brains I have a friend that used to tell me he was growing in the Lord and coming out of a lot of sinful patterns. And he said, I'm learning. God is teaching me that I don't have to act on every impulse I have. Thank you. Yeah. I don't have to act on every impulse I have. Like that chocolate's sitting right there. Yeah. I'd like to eat it right now, but right. I don't have to act on every but impulse. you know what? You could open up the candy and, right now. All right. Go ahead and unwrap it a and little unwrap bit. Unwrap it. There's a lesson in here somewhere. You're being psychologized. Oh, but. You're, you're being psychologized. <laughs> yes, you are. And, and okay. the reason being is because we do not want to unwrap. So I think to answer <laughs> that this... When this, you are a teenager, you do not want to unwrap. <laughs> right? Yes. Okay, so anyway, I hope we answered that question for you. I think a good mix of loving truth. Uh, and there's going to be some more detail about in another question about how we navigate some of this. How do you respond to a person's claim that 1 Samuel 18.1 describes a homosexual relationship between David and Jonathan? <laughs> I say, nice try. Uh, nice try. But it is very clear that 
David was a heterosexual. I don't think it's that hard to figure out uh, if you've read the other parts about David's story. Not to mention that the friendship between David and Jonathan was a true brotherhood of two warriors. They were actually both warriors who loved each other as friends. Uh, The LGBTQ community that tries to use what I would call imaginative hermeneutics, which is another way to say to interpret the Bible the way that they want it to look, it's it's, it's just a lie. There's no reputable scholar that would support this point of view. It's a try, it's an attempt to try to paint David and Jonathan as homosexuals, which to me is blasphemy. Because David is a type of the coming Messiah, by the way, as imperfect as he was. And so I'll just say, nice try. There is no biblical exegetical evidence to support such a claim. It's just a try to impose something on the text. Did they love each other? Yes, as friends. And that's all they were. So next question. Guys got it? You thought I was going to talk more about that. Can exposure to pornography or sexual abuse ever have an effect causing confusion in someone's sexuality? Definitely. Oops, definitely. Okay, walk that out for us. Um, Everything that you're exposed to is, we are computers, and our brains absorb everything. And that's why it's important to watch what you uh, put in it. Um, You put in good stuff, good stuff comes out. If you put in bad stuff, bad stuff comes out. And I'm really, I didn't even like when the kids were doing all this blood and guts games that they play, and sorry if you all do it, but the issue is, um, to me, that's, it, you know, again, it's a fantasy world that puts you in, and you can kill people and blood oozing out everywhere. Well, isn't that, uh, you know, then you kind of get, um, what's the word, uh, desensitized to, uh, to that. And the same with pornography and all that. It's all in your brain. Again, we talked about that earlier. Um, confusion in your sexuality. Well, if you get excited over two you know, to women having sex and you're a woman or um, there's, I have couples coming to me all the time and uh, that have done a lot of stupid stuff together and with other people and they're trying to save their marriage and, and they don't trust each other. There, there's just no, if you don't have loyalty and love, you have nothing. Once you've broken trust, it's, trust, Trust can be rebuilt, but when you bring other people oh, into that time. relationship, whether it's adultery or pornography, it, it, it is a huge blow to the, yes. the marriage trust and relationship and covenant. Okay, so you touched on uh, sexual abuse, and we've got, we've got about 15 minutes left, so we're going to have to move quickly. Okay. Uh, but the question included a sexual abuse in the person's past. So you gave us the numbers how how does that kind of thing impact someone's choices well i i have a the video is all about sexual abuse too and 
that I have online, so if you want to get more information. But what happens is it, it breaks your boundaries, first of all, number one. Um, and it depends on the age, first of all. Um, a lot of times the sexual abuse can start off at very young age. Um, I don't even want to talk. I've, I've got some stuff in my head. But the, the fact is that what happens is it's now... We have a normal sexuality that we have a progression that we start off with as young. We learn about who we are, male or female. Then we learn about, um, you know, when our bodies start changing, we, we find out about sex, and we find out about, as we get older, we see different things. What happens is it's broken that, and a child of five years old or six years old now understands sex, or they don't understand it completely, but, but it's damaged them, and they don't know what to do with it. And the parents, a lot of times, they don't talk because they're, they're told not to say anything, and so they sit with it, and they, and they, they don't know how to handle it. It's the worst thing that you can do if a so, father so, does it, it so it it basically amalgamates all these these things that you've been talking about where it brings confusion distortion it labels it does all these yes. things that there's something wrong with me i'm yeah. i'm labeled as a as a, a victim and if you and if it happened to you when you were young it confuses you and then you don't, don't even know and then if if it it wasn't public and you didn't get help through it Right. Then it can distort your path and how you see yourself and acceptance and all this stuff. And then God straightens us out because he loves us. But one of the problems is, and this is why I know it's Satan, he, he, because a lot of people that come to me that have had been sexually abused, they are so angry at God. How could God allow this? And that's one of the things that, that I have to help them work through because God did not do that. I'm sorry. God had no, has no part in sin. He, he he allows he allows things on this earth because we have free choice. Now you can help me if there's any. I'm saying anything. No, wrong. I, I think what you said is accurate, and there are some hard uh, angles to view this. But there's sin happening in our world everywhere on the planet right now yes. in people's minds. People stealing, people cheating, uh, and so you don't if God know. intervened in every. Uh, evil act that's happening on the earth, none of us would probably be here uh, if he judged it right now. So, okay, let's move on because I want to try to get to every question that we have. Let's go to the next question. Do you believe that there is a spiritual battle going on with someone who is experiencing this? This being, I would imagine, sex, some sex, sort of sexual deviation or transgenderism. Of course, there's or, a, always a spiritual battle, isn't there? Yeah. And everything. Yeah. So what... Just getting to church is a spiritual battle. So how is Satan <laughs> categorized in our Bibles, guys? He's a liar. Yes. He's a deceiver. He's the tempter. He, ro- he goes about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. devour. Mm-hmm. He asks to sift Peter his wheat. He is no... You know, he, he masquerades as an angel of light, but, he, but he's bent on the church's destruction... And if you're a Christian, he's bent on your destruction. And what he uses is he uses lies and manipulation and deception, confusion. He's the father of confusion and lies. God is a God of order and, 
and uh, decency. The enemy is the father of lies. He lied to our first parents about God, questioned God's word. Did God really say that? He wants to bring confusion so that you label yourself some way that it's not how God sees you. You know how God sees you? Forgiven. He loves you. You're his child. You're a co-heir with Christ. That's how God sees you. God's always loved you. We learned that on Sunday. He loved us before there was a beginning. He loved us. That's how we need to see ourselves. The enemy wants, to, wants you to see yourself in a distorted perspective. That's spiritual warfare. Part of putting on the helmet of salvation is to know who you are in your mind. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. All right, let's move on to the next one. Preach it, brother. A lot of people say that being homosexual is not the same as other sins because it isn't hurting anyone. What are your thoughts? It's not the same as other sins. Because it's not hurting anyone? Because it's not hurting anyone. Really? So we live in a world without anybody else around us? Well, I will say this, uh, and, and again, we're letting the questions drive our answers. So I don't want someone to get the perception that we're just beating up one particular sin. But, but, but there are... Wait a minute. Let me, let me say that... God builds integrity, character, and conviction in us. Right. He builds us with his moral character. And because his morals are absolute, and so when we step out of those absolutes, we destroy ourselves from inward. Because if, okay, I can just say, if I get angry and yell, I feel bad afterwards. Now, if I don't, maybe I'm a sociopath. But the issue is um, that when I do something sinful, I feel bad. That deteriorates me some more. Now, if I do it again, and I do it again, and I do it over and over and over again, I'm going to deteriorate inwardly. So you can, you can actually sear your conscience Yes. Uh, which is what First Timothy says. And it's possible that if you suppress truth over and over and over again, you can get yourself to a point where you, you sear your I conscience. What did I say about denial? Yeah. God so, cannot help you when you're in denial. And one thing I was going to say about at least the homosexual lifestyle as it relates to males, I've heard suicide rates are very high. Yes. I've heard lifespans are impacted by... Very low. What... And I have to say this, guys, because this is what the Bible says, but I think it's obvious. It's an unnatural act for a male to be with a male or a female to be with a female. And there are consequences. In fact, uh, in Romans 1, it talks about paying the due penalty of the error, which some scholars believe is actually a venereal disease. Um, So I'm not talking about people who are struggling with same-sex attraction. I'm talking about people who have acted into the homosexual lifestyle and the, the research I've seen is uh, suicide rates are higher, uh, lower lifespans, and you know the whole AIDS epidemic was connected to the homosexual community. It wasn't totally in that community, but, but obviously it was a very rampant issue within that right. community. Let me talk to you a little bit, the young people. How many of you guys know about raves? Have you heard about raves? Anybody? <laughs> Confess it. Do it. <laughs> You've heard about raves? I've heard about raves. Okay. Raves have different levels. I, I'm, I was educated by the young people. Sorry. And one of the things I had was a 24-year-old came to me one time, and he was bawling his head off because his girlfriend had AIDS. And she got it at a rave. Now, 
she didn't have homosexual you know, tendencies. She didn't do any of that. She got into a really bad area, and they were shooting up drugs, and she got AIDS from the drugs. So, you know, it's the, the consequences are there for every action. The Bible calls it sowing and reaping. Whatever yes. man sows to, that he will also reap. Right. And so God does, he's gracious with us, and sometimes we don't reap everything that we've sown. But, um, yeah. All right, next question. And I think we're, we're, tra- we're getting to the end here. How can we respond to someone who says if homosexuality is wrong, then what about getting tattoos or cutting your hair? Since the Bible is against that too, you're just cherry picking. Okay, so I can, I can address this. Yes, please. So sometimes in the culture what you'll hear is people say, oh, you're quoting Leviticus 18 or Leviticus 22, but... Uh, the Bible also said that you shouldn't mix threads and you shouldn't eat pork and you shouldn't, you know, mark your body. And so isn't that in the Old Testament too? And are you cherry picking in that you're saying, you're quoting Leviticus about homosexuality, but you mix threads and you eat pork and you have tattoos on your body. Well, what you need to understand is that when the first five books of Moses were written, they were written under a theocratic rule of God. God was directly governing Israel as his nation. He was their king. And he had rules that applied to, for example, ways to protect their health in Leviticus. Uh, certain animals like shellfish and other things were considered unclean. What, what you want to look for is moral uh, truths that are revealed in Scripture that carry over in other places. And this is not a hard one to figure out because homosexuality and its condemnation in the Leviticus passage, includes bestiality and adultery. And it carries over into Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, I think it's 1 Timothy 1 or 2 Timothy 1. So th- my point is this, that that's something that you may have heard before, that Christians are just cherry-picking the homosexual thing. But these commands about sexual uh, sin carry over into the New Testament are repeated. By the way, all nine, all ten of the can, the, the commandments. Nine of the ten are commi- are repeated in the New Testament. The only one that's not repeated as a command in the New Testament is the Sabbath day, because the Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ. All the other commandments, don't commit adultery, etc., are repeated in the New Testament. My point is this: uh, you have to look at Israel under the theocratic rule of God, and then what was happening there in their laws and the repetition of uh, homosexuality and se- all sexual sin being condemned, as I said, under, under the word pornia, carries over into the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of Paul, and the New Testament. So it's not cherry-picking. It's just understanding context. Okay, let's move on. Do we have any more? Thank you for your questions. <laughs> so Dr. Diane... Um, and I do want to thank you guys for your questions because this was really intended to try to answer your questions tonight. And Dr. Diane, before we uh, say goodnight, is there anything more that you had on your heart that you wanted to share? And will you let the people eat the chocolate? Um, do you really want to eat it? Are you married yet? <laughs> if you're married, you can eat it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, well, go, go for it. <laughs> you want that one? No, it's all right. Okay. You've touched it too many okay, times. 
Uh, <laughs> Does that do you, make do you, sense? I guess it makes sense. Yeah, yeah so I think. I, can, I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm is, so is there any final thoughts you have before we say goodnight? You know, one of the things is if, if you're going to college, you need to make sure that you understand that you have free speech and free speech in religion and don't let anyone demean you because you're a Christian. And I see a lot of young people that are so afraid to speak up in their classrooms because the teachers are the authority. Well, how do the other kids find out about lies if you don't tell the truth? So one of the things that I did do was I researched abortion, okay? I brought, when, I, when, when they have a debate, you get in there and you debate. If, if you're in a philosophy class and they say God is dead, guess what? We know he's alive, but they don't know that. And I, one of the things I did say was, well, we're human beings and all we know is what us human beings know, but you don't know if there's a God or not. And so you kind of throw some seeds out. Uh, evolution. By the way, evolution is a lie. It is a theory. It will always be a theory. They cannot figure it out. There's no way they can go back to the original time and, and figure out how, it, how many of you guys have heard that it's, it's real, that evolution, we, we came from the muck. Did you guys hear that? It's a theory. All heard it. it is a theory. These are people lying to you. I have gone into research. I'm a nerd. I go into research, and so, I, I look things up. And you said something important. I'm not sure if it was here when we were talking before this, but you said we're made in the image of God. Yes. And, and when we, we realize that high and holy calling to be human is a privilege, you're made in the image of God, it answers a lot of these questions. And I believe evolution is just another lie from the enemy trying to dis... Uh, Trying to soil yes. the image of God that's in every Again, human. Again, it's all about undermining God. Period. Yes, yes. That's Satan. All right. So don't be, don't be the one uh, playing into that. Period. Amen. And for those of you who are watching tonight um, on the live stream, I have no idea who may be watching, but one, one thing that we wanted to say tonight is that if you've not met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that applies to those who are here as well, that he is someone who can change you. And he's the one that can set you free. We open tonight with Luke 4.18, that he's been anointed by the Holy Spirit to set captives free. Jesus sets people free. And there are a bunch of people watching tonight, a bunch of people who are here tonight, who are living examples of the freedom that he brings. And he brings true freedom from in all of these areas of life. And for most of us, it happens little by little. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily happen overnight. But the more truth you get, the more you walk with him, the more he cleanses, the more he sets you free, the more he sets your feet on a firm foundation, the more you learn about what your life's really about, who made you, where you're headed, what, what your purpose is, that you have a great purpose, and that's to live for his glory and to find someone to love and to have a family by God's grace and to have a ministry and to use your life in his service until you go to be with him or he comes to get us. 
So if you've not met Jesus as your Lord and Savior, man, I would, I would just encourage you right now, Lord Jesus, save me. I have sinned against you, and I'm sorry. I'm broken. Save me. I believe you died on that cross in my place and took my penalty. I believe you rose from the dead to defeat death that scares me. Please make me alive in you. I want to be born again to that living hope. Forgive me and set my feet upon solid ground. Give me a new start and a new heart. Set me free, Lord. I want to follow you and know you.